Mark chapter 12. Let's uh, go to a passage here in uh, verse uh, 28. So down to verse 28. I've got a few verses to share with you tonight, and I hope we, you can keep up with me as we go through them. Uh, I want to talk about love. And I guess if you go to church, that is a topic that you'll hear fairly frequently, isn't it? Because uh, out there in the world, there is an awful lot of hate, isn't there? There's, there's I mean, particularly these days, the, the vitriol on social media, excuse me, the, um, uh, the nastiness, the bitterness, the, uh, the racial epithets, the, the various uh, uh, products of our society which just seem to be becoming more and more hateful in different ways. And yet the Bible is full of the love of God. And that's what we do like to talk about. And I don't talk about this every Sunday, but um, I will talk about it tonight for a bit of a change. So Mark, if you will. Now the Bible does say to us later on in the Gospels, uh, or rather towards the end of the New Testament, it says, for God is love. So that's a fairly big statement already. God is love. I mean, there is also the, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, juxtaposition of that that it tells us that God, our God is an all-consuming fire. It tells us that he is a jealous God. So he sort of, the entire spectrum of those emotions from jealousy and uh, all-consuming fire through to love are actually part of God. And it's uh, good to just get your head around that. We're not going to come here and tell you God loves everybody and he's just going to accept everybody as they are. That is not true. God is love, but he has standards that he expects to be met. So let's read a few verses from the Bible about this topic. Mark chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered to them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And the Jewish scholars and scribes back in Jesus' days, they used to spend their whole lives asking these sorts of questions and rhetorical questions and what have you, and questions that really don't make a lot of sense in many cases. But, but this is not a bad one. Now, when he says, which is the greatest commandment of all, of course, we all know there are ten commandments, aren't there? There's the ten commandments. And that's all that most people know. But when you go back and read the Old Testament, there are about 623 commandments. The ten written on the two tablets uh, were written as a, a kind of a basis for society. And I want to go through that tonight. But there are actually 623, so they tell me. I've never sat and counted them. Anyone actually ever sat and counted them? I'd love someone to actually sit and count them one day. Do, do sit down and count them for me, okay? And then come back and tell me, no, you're wrong, Pastor Kevin, there's 622. That'll be fine, I'm happy with that. But they say about 623. And so it was a, a reasonable question to say, well, okay, there's a whole lot of those commandments here. Which one's the most important? In verse 30, uh, verse, sorry, verse 29, and Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So all of a sudden we find out that the commandments that are on the Ten Commandments, for example, are not the most important ones. 
Because these two instructions here come from amongst the other 623. These weren't on the Ten Commandments. Uh, but Jesus says actually the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And I guess when you look at that, you think, wow, that sounds like a big, big job, doesn't it? You know, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, but I don't know whether I've sort of reached that level yet. Uh, but that's what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. Now, I just want to go back to the Old Testament and read it with you for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 6. A little bit of a Bible study tonight, so do stay with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, uh, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our uh, God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Uh, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So there it is. We can see it ourselves. It's actually buried in the book of Deuteronomy there. There are two major books that contain the law of the Old Testament, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There's other bits of it in Exodus and Numbers as well, but they're the two main books. Deuteronomy, by the way, is a, is a I suppose it's Deuter. That would be Latin, wouldn't it? Anyone remember? I think that's Latin. Oh, no, no, that might be Greek. Deuter meaning two and nomos meaning the law. So Deuteronomy, the second reading of the law. That's what this is. This is the second reading of the law. This is when they read it again and recited it uh, to all the Israelites just before they came out of the desert to go into the land of Palestine there. And so we can see there chapter 6. You've got to get to chapter 6. You think he'd stick it back in chapter 1 and verse 1. It's buried in the middle there somewhere. And yet this principle of loving God, funnily enough, is right through it. Go across the page to chapter 7. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Verse 9, and I'll tell you why I'm saying this in a moment, but verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with those that love him and keep his commandments. To a thousand generations he says i'll look after you if you love me and now he ex expands on that and says and keep my commandments to a thousand generations chapter 10 across the page again and verse just one verse again verse 12 and now israel what does the lord thy god require of thee but to fear the lord thy god to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the lord thy god with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And we see here the idea of loving God actually comes with not only obeying his commandments, but also serving him, uh, submitting yourself to what he wants you to do. That's part of loving God. We see this loving God is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, chapter 11, across the page again in verse 12 this time. And the lamb which the Lord thy God, uh, sorry, yes, verse 12, and, the, and a, a lamb which the Lord thy God uh, uh, careth for, uh, the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it for the, from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. Yes, verse 13, I'm sorry. And to that it shall come to pass if you hearken diligently unto the, my commandments which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul that I will give you 
the rain of your land uh, in his season and so on and so on. That was, I'll bless you. And so loving God resulted in being blessed by God as well. Now, if you read through the rest of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and as I say, parts of Numbers, parts of Exodus, you'll discover this little theme of loving God is woven through the whole thing. And we are mere human beings. We don't last very long at all. We come on this earth, we live 70 or 80 years or so, as the Bible predicted we would, and then we pass off this earth. We leave it. Uh, Our chance here is a very, very short one. You know, you often think of some of those very, you know, short-lived insects and so so on. Is it the mayfly that lives for 24 hours? Who remembers? Yeah, yeah, then it is. Okay, no one remembers. I'm th- pretty sure it's 24 hours. 24 hours it lives. I mean, even, even just your basic fly only lives, a, you know, a few days, you know, your basic Australian house fly. Um, but the mayfly, I think, lives 24 hours. So it, it kind of, it, it, it arrives, it gets born, it, you know, gestated, born, and then it, uh, you know, spreads its wings, goes out, has a look around, checks out where it lives. Yes, fantastic. It goes to the next yard next door to go overseas for a little while. That's nice too. Comes back again, says nice... Finds a nice little mayfly to mate with, you know, mates, has some little baby mayflies, and then gets old and dies that evening. <laughs> Exciting life, huh? Not really. And you and I look at that, we think, how ridiculous is that? Except, guess what? We're not much better. We arrive on this earth and, uh, you know, it's all pretty, uh, you know, exciting to start off with. We're in primary school, then we're in high school, and then we go to university and uh, then we get our first good job. Then we get promoted and then we get a few bit more money and then we think, oh, I might go buy myself a block of land. Uh, a little later on, I think, I'll build a house on that. Maybe then at some stage in that process there, you fall in love, marry somebody, and uh, that, 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 is, that dictates the rest of your life, by the way. But anyway, you fall in love, marry somebody, then it's a few kids, you know, no, two, what is it at the moment? 2.3 children and on average in Australia. I think it is at the moment. Uh, have a couple of kids, have your 2.3 children, uh, get old, you know, you finally get to a stage in your, in your, in your you know, perhaps business career or something where you're earning some decent money and so on, and then you get on, you retire, and then after you've retired, you hang around, you do a couple of trips around Australia with your caravan and your wife, you come back home again, you start aching creak a little bit, all the bones are starting to solidify a little bit here and there, and a few things start to hit you. Your health starts to take a bit of a decline around 65. (laughs) I'm 64, you see. About 60, by the way. Um, Your health takes a bit of a decline, you start to go down, and then, of course, we, we know the next stage is, well, I'm using my superannuation. Quick, use your superannuation while you're still alive, and then someone sticks you in an old people's home, and then you're sitting in there waiting to die. It just doesn't make sense, does it? Welcome to planet Earth. That's what people do here. A Mayflower's 24 hours may seem, you know, ridiculously short, but I tell you what, Get towards the end of your 70 or 80 years and your 70 or 80 years starts to look ridiculously short as well. Not that I'm anywhere near that. I'm not saying that, but you know what I'm saying. And the Bible teaches us that we wish we could live on. We think, we we behave and think and act as if we're going to live forever on earth. The Bible says we, we name things after our own name so that that at least will live on. You know, people build companies and they build properties and all that sort of stuff, and they use their name, you know, Getty Oil, Ansett Airways. 
lot of good that did, Reg. Ansett Airways. And, of course, the principle of, is that because our life is so short, we've, um, we put our energies into the wrong thing. And the whole time, the Lord is trying to send us a message. If only you would love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all your soul, you would live forever. So it's woven there through the Old Testament. And when we, we read it here, uh, I often think about it and think, well, it just didn't work. Go over to uh, Isaiah, if you will, chapter 1, which is one of my favourite Old Testament passages, Isaiah chapter 1. After 1,500 years of them having the law, the kind of summary is provided for us here in Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I've nourished and brought up children, and they've rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people does not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, they are gone away backward and so after all of that time instructing them to love God did not actually work you can't legislate for people to love someone which is what the law was doing you can't write a law you can't issue a regulation a requirement you know you can't say uh, as some religions sort of do don't they they say you've got you must pray to God five times a day. How can you legislate for people to love God? It doesn't make sense. Um, and so the Bible uh, points out to us the, the futility of that exercise until, of course, John chapter 3. We'll go straight there. John chapter 3. When the Lord decided to reverse it all, John chapter 3, verse 16, one of my favourite verses in the Bible and I know you've heard this many times before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved or might be rescued. And uh, lovely, it's a wonderful verse, and it reminds us that God's love for the world is so huge, it's so intense. God always loved us. The problem was we didn't love him back. His love for us is, is, is massive, absolutely enormous. You can see it in the things around about you. I often reflect on just things we enjoy in life. It says every good thing comes down from the Father above, with whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. All the good things in life, from, from eating a, you know, a, a mango to, you know, I had curry laksa tonight, oh, delicious. You know, you, you kind of look at all the different things that God has given us on planet Earth. Endless, endless enjoyment. In a sense, and I don't, don't want to, I'm not, not talking about the illegal or the immoral things, but endless enjoyment on earth. God gave them to us. You, you can identify that. I mean, imagine if, if mangoes weighed two tons and were 11 feet long. You wouldn't win it. No one would walk under a mango tree. You know, you'd be terrified. You'd be crushed. 
You know, but all the fruit's been designed so basically it doesn't crush you when it falls out of trees. Apples and oranges, oh, you might dong your head. I think it was Sir Isaac Newton that got donged on the head, wasn't it? Yeah, but apart from that, you're not going to sustain any serious damage. Or imagine if, if God made dogs that were 15 foot tall and ate humans for breakfast or something or other. You know, I suppose there are wolves, aren't there? Just avoid those for a moment. But my point, of course, is that it's easy enough to enjoy the creation that God has given us. Every good thing comes from God. And uh, he says, yes, I always did love you, but the trick was teaching you to love me back so that you could live forever. And now he says, look, I'll solve that. I'll reverse it for you. I'm going to send my son to show you how much I love you. And he's going to pay the price for all of your sins. It says that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, the entire world. Now, don't get me wrong. God could have done it just as easily another way. He could have said, look, here's the deal. Repent, get baptized, you'll get filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll speak in tongues and your sins will all be forgiven. And, uh, and that could be a simple fact. And there it is. Jesus Christ, imagine for a moment, Jesus Christ never came to earth. He'd never been on earth. He'd never died. He'd never been beaten and whipped and crucified. Nothing like that. Imagine, and it would still be valid. God's system would still work. Yes, you're going to have the Holy Spirit and you're going to speak in tongues. And as soon as you get the Holy Spirit, as soon as you speak in tongues, you're completely forgiven. I mean, we'd be happy enough with that and all the people said. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The whole idea was we'd always be able to look back and we'd be able to see Jesus' death at Calvary and be able to identify God really, really loves me. He loves me, you know, you know, when you have little kids and you say, how much do you love me? You know, I got grandchildren at the moment. I tried on with them. How much do you love me? And, uh, you know, that much, granddad, you know, that much. They're stretching their arms out that much. Well, the Bible says the love of God is beyond comprehension. The width, the breadth, the length and the height is beyond our comprehension. And, uh, uh, we re- and th- this helps us to understand that. So that every morning we wake up with all of our failings and our faults, with all of our misadventures in life, you know, we, we, we went off the track here, we did something silly there and so on. We can wake up and talk to God for- first thing in the morning and say, thank you, Lord. I just have to think back to Jesus at the cross and I suddenly remember how much you love me. You love me that much. And all the people said, So God was doing it the other way around. He sent his son Jesus just to show how much he loved us. But now he's put it back in our hands again. And he's saying, now I've shown you how much I love you. I'm hoping that now you'll learn to love me back. And of course, depending on your circumstances, I mean, I remember uh, there's a lovely passage that talks about a woman who was uh, uh, washing Jesus' feet with her hair and tears and so forth. You remember the story? And it says that the Pharisee was indignant at that particular event and turned to Jesus and complained about the lady. She was a sinner and so forth. And it says that Jesus turned to the man and said, okay, who do you suppose will love more? The person who's been forgiven of a little thing or the person who's been forgiven of lots of things? And the Pharisee replied, well, presumably the person who's been forgiven of a lot of things will appreciate it more, will love more. 
And that's true. Every time we look in the mirror, we should be saying to ourselves, thank you, Lord, how much you love me, how much you've forgiven me, how much you've washed me and cleansed me. I don't stand here condemned and guilty and unworthy anymore. I stand here think, just basking in the forgiving love of God. What does love do? We read over in the book of Peter, don't look it up, but we read in the book of Peter, it says, uh, have fervent charity amongst yourselves because charity shall cover a multitude of sins. And all the people said, and it's just such a treasure, isn't it? As parents, we don't sit there exacting punishment on our children based on every single fault they have. You know, they don't come home from school, uh, you know, and uh, they got a B and we give them a beating. Well, perhaps unless you're Chinese parents or something. Give them a beating for not getting an A. Did you do that, Janice? No. All right. I'm just checking. Just checking. That's because you're an Aussie. We don't give them a beating because they got a B instead of an A. We don't give them a beating because they spilt milk on the kitchen floor or dropped their Wheaties or something or other. And we don't uh, you know, beat them senseless because their bedroom is dirty. They'd be senseless their whole lives if that was the case. The Bible says even if, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those that love him, those that fear him. And uh, there's the principle there. God is like a father to us. Now, we've learned here this is how much he loves us. Now, how do we, 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 lo how do we love him back? We'll go over the page to John chapter 14 because once we appreciate how much God loves us, I think it's so wonderful to begin to piece together how to love him back in return. And uh, John chapter 14 is one of those discussions that take place in the Bible just before the crucifixion. This is the night before the crucifixion. So this is like kind of final instructions before leaving home kind of thing. Uh, John chapter 14, we read down in verse 15 just for a moment. Uh, Jesus says here, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Okay, that's very straightforward, isn't it? If you love God, you keep what he says, you do what he says. Down in verse 21, uh, He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he should be loved, uh, and he that loveth me should be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Uh, verse 23, And Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And uh, we read the, the first product of us loving God is not for us to walk around telling other people how much we love God or writing a song about how much you love God. It's to simply do what Jesus said to do. Now what's intriguing is that woven through this story are the seeds of what you're supposed to do. Go back a little bit, if you will, to verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. We read that. And I will pray the Father. And he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And so Jesus explains here that if you love me, you'll do what I say, and I'm going to send you the spirit, the spirit of truth, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's exactly the same thing. The Bible says there's only one spirit. A little further down in verse, uh, uh, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. For yet a little while and the world sees me no more and you shall see me because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And so he explains that when we receive God's Holy Spirit, uh, he's saying 
He's in the Father, the Father's in him, and uh, we are also in the Father as well. We're all united together when we receive God's Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is simply part of God, isn't it? Jesus is part of God, and when we receive the Holy Spirit, suddenly we're part of God. It's an intriguing thought, isn't it? He says, I'll be in you, you would be in me, and, uh, and I'm in the Father. In verse uh, 20, uh, 22, uh, Judas says to him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my sayings, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. And these things I've spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. And so Jesus explains here, this receiving of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of someone who genuinely loves God. Because if they genuinely love God, they'll do what God has told them they're supposed to do. And Jesus explains here that what will happen is there'll be a confirmation that you are in the Father, the Father is in you, and you are in Christ. It'll be confirmed. It'll be manifest to you. Uh, now we go straight across to the story where this took place in Acts chapter 2. This is the very first time when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Acts chapter 2. And we read the apostles have been praying here for about seven days. And in chapter 2 and verse 4 it says, And they're all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So people received the Holy Spirit back in Bible days with a physical manifestation of that experience. It's not theoretical, it's not a ceremony, it's not something you can, you know, just automatically, you know, progress in some sense. You've got to pray jolly hard. Uh, people like Peter and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and what have you, they prayed for seven solid days. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there with them praying for seven days. Jesus' brother Joseph, his brother Judas, his brother Simeon were also there praying. James as well, praying for the seven days. And his sisters, at least three of them, were there praying as well. We know that from another verse in the same story. And how did they know when the Holy Ghost came? They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All of a sudden, it's confirmed that you are genuinely loving God. That's what it boils down to. It's the confirmation. Over to 2 Corinthians, if you will, just for a moment. Chapter 5, Paul explains here to the Corinthian church in verse 1, uh, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Uh, so he explains that if our body is gone, if our body is dissolved, if we die on earth, he says it doesn't matter because we've got another body coming up, an eternal one with God in the heavens. Verse 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. And as you get older, you tend to groan more uh, because you, you recognize that the human body is pretty frail. It's slowly passing away. The Bible says that uh, the outward man perishes daily, but the inward man is renewed day by day. In verse 3, 
If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So it's a discussion about eternal life and finding the Lord and living forever and ever. Verse 5. Now he that has wrought for us the selfsame thing is God, who also has given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And Paul explains here, by the grace of God, we've received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the earnest. The word earnest is an old-fashioned word meaning the deposit or the down payment. It's the, uh, uh, in the olden days, it was the, the monetary amount that you paid to ensure that the contract went through later on. Uh, you, you collect on that basis. He says, therefore, uh, verse 5 rather, Now he that has wrought for us the selfsame thing as God, who also has given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit. That's our guarantee that we're going to live forever. We've, God loved us. We've loved him back. We've done what he said to do. We've got the Holy Spirit. Now we've got a guarantee of eternal life. And all the people said, just such a treasure. Back to John chapter 15 for a moment. I'm... Actually, before we go there, John chapter 21. I'll read you a little story. It's a strange story when you first read it. John chapter 21, and down in verse uh, 15. Now, this is after the resurrection, so this is uh, by the Sea of Tiberias here, Sea of Galilee, in verse 15. Now, when they had dined, uh, Jesus, that's the resurrected Jesus, says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? And he says to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he says to him, Feed my lambs. And he says to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And he says to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said to him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And when you read that, as I say, it's a strange sort of a story, this, this repetitive question of do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Um, but what helps is when you uh, look at it in the Greek language of the New Testament, it, uh, it, it sort of becomes a little clearer. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, he uses the, the Greek word agapeo, uh, meaning uh, love in a, in a sense of a devotion, uh, kind of a, I won't say heavenly love, but a, a, a sort of a devotedness, a complete devotedness, okay, agapeo. And that's the word that's often used when Jesus talks. And Peter responds by saying, yes, I love you. And he uses the word in the Greek, yes, I filio you. And filio is the word in the Greek meaning to, to like someone, to be have a friend of someone. It's all the, also the word, it's the same word as to kiss someone. Filio. For example, Judas uh, filioed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He kissed him. And uh, it's a more kind of uh, um, uh, a human type of instinct. And it's certainly not the sense of complete devotion that Agapeo 
implies. And so Jesus says, Do you com- are you completely devoted to me and service to me and so on? And Peter responds, yes, I really like you. So Jesus asked the question again, Peter, in the Greek, do you, are you completely devoted to me, agapeo? And Peter replies the second time, yes, I, I like you, I filio you. And the third time around, Jesus gives up and he says, do you like me? <laughs> he says, do you filio me? And Peter says, Lord, you've asked me three times. Yes, of course, I've told you already. Yes, I filio you. And I find that's an interesting distinction, although it doesn't come out in the English. It's an interesting distinction because there are indeed lots and lots of people who claim to, to love God. They claim that they, they love God. They claim that they, well, I kind of think of it in terms of like Peter here, they like him, if you know what I mean. But is their life devoted to God? Is their life committed to God? Do they love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their strength, all their soul, and all their might? And the answer often is no. They're a bit filio-ish, like our friend Peter here. Now, it didn't change the fact that Jesus still loved Peter. That's quite clear in the story. But it does help us to understand that the Lord Jesus is looking for a really serious devoted type of love. Let's go to another verse over in the book of uh, Luke chapter 14. How am I going for time? Yes, one or two more verses. Luke 14. Again, this is Jesus speaking here and I'll, uh, I'll read it to you. And I, if you haven't read it before, you'll probably be a little bit astonished at how graphic this is. But Luke chapter 14 and down in verse uh, 25. Yeah, that'll do. Just for time today. Verse 25. Uh, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple my disciple. Now all of a sudden this love of God, this love of Jesus Christ with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength suddenly comes right into focus because what Jesus is saying, I don't think he's actually saying here, I want you to go home tonight, ring your mother and tell her how much you hate her. That's not the point here. But what is the point is that Jesus wants to make sure that you've understood that if you're following him, it's more important than your relationship with your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, and your own life. And all the people said. And if it isn't, you need to just reevaluate for a moment because that is the love that Jesus is talking about. Who would like to live forever? In. No problem. But are we prepared to do what Jesus said? That's the big question. You know, sometimes in life, you know, you may have the pastor come up to you and say, oh, sister or brother, whatever it may be, I don't think it's very good that you're, you know, still using heroin or, (laughs) you know, still drinking Jim Beam or or that you're, you know, uh, donging old ladies over the head with, 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 with with a nightstick or something after Friday night meetings. You know, you need to change, you know, and the Bible teaches us that officers are set in the church for the edification of the saints and for the encouragement of the saints and so forth. Um, Part of loving the Lord is submission. Part of the loving the Lord is service. Part of the loving the Lord is to say, what I want is not important. What The only thing that really matters here is what God wants. And all the people said, that's critical. 
to get a hold of that. So Jesus says here, that's right, you, unless you hate your mother, your father, your son, your brother, your daughter, you can't be my disciple and your own life also. I just want to expand on that over in John chapter 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because <clears throat> there's lots and lots of people who like to add Jesus Christ into their life as the cherry on the cake. They want to put him there as the kind of the little bit at the top. You know, he's, uh, yes, I, I've got this and I've got that. I've got my family, my job, my house, my car, my this, my that, the other. And on top of that, the cherry on the cake is I'm baptized and filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues. And what Jesus teaches us here is he is the cake. He's the whole cake. And if not, we've got to get a grip on it. John chapter 12, we read down in verse 25. Again, I'll keep it short for time. Uh, he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto a life eternal. If any man serve me, he shall follow me. And where I am, there shall he be my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And so Jesus explains here, he says, if you, you, must, if you love your life in this world, you're going to lose it. If, you're, if your life in this world is just right, I had someone say to me recently, my life's just right until the Lord pulled the carpet out. My life is just right. My job is just perfect. My, the car I've got's lovely. You know, the, the spouse I've got's delightful. The children I've got are this and so on and so on. And the Lord's saying here, if you love your life in this world, you've missed something. Jesus says, he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. We've got to understand that this is not what we're here for. We're not here for this world. We're not here for, you know, the pleasures of life, the pleasures of the eyes, the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of other things entering in and so on. You know, we, we live our life. I think we have a pretty good life in the Lord, generally speaking, but that's not what it's about. What it's about is serving God, making sure that he's number one, making sure that he's right up the top, everything else is secondary, and in so doing, that is loving the Lord. You know, I often think about King David in the Old Testament. Who can remember King David's, well, there's three big sins, but who remembers the first two big ones? King David. Old Testament, crown, handsome guy. Sins, what were his big sins? Yeah, adultery with a lady called Bathsheba. Second one? Census? Sorry? The census? The sen census? Did someone say the census? I think the second big one is probably murder. That seems a fairly decent-sized sin to me. Murdered the husband of the woman he committed adultery with. So adultery, murder. Uh, the next one was the census, I think, where he counted Israel. Look, there's a few, few other things along the way that he did. But, but what I love about it is the Bible goes on to say... King David was a man after the Lord's own heart. He was completely devoted to God, frail in the flesh, had a few problems there, would have needed to sit down with a pastor from time to time. But, but his attitude was just number one. His attitude was what brought him success all the time. He just kept on going back and saying, I made a mess of that, didn't I? Sorry about that. And God gave him a clip behind the ears. He moved on and his attitude was, I'm only serving God. No other gods in my life. Uh, you know, the, the gods of the Philistines and the Hivites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and so on. He said, no, we just stick to the God of Israel. And that was, that was what got him through. And Jesus explains it in his terms here by telling us, he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If you've, if you've come to recognize that life on earth is not what it's all about. In fact, I'm not interested in life on earth. Life on earth is chicken feed 
compared to meeting the Lord in the air, you're on the right track. And all the people said. But if in life you found your niche and everything's just working out sweet, your job's going well and this is going well, I mean, nothing wrong with that going well, but what I'm saying, if that is what's the most important thing to you, you've missed eternal life. Go back to what the Lord wants. Over to Corinthians, if you will, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2. Look, we could talk all night about this quite clearly, but I'm not going to. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, the Lord is hoping we will develop that love for him. He's hoping we'll grasp it, that we'll put it into practice, that we'll live it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible about why it's so important to love God and the reward of loving God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Uh, but God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. He says here, to try and uh, see with your eyes or to hear with your ears or grasp in your heart, the enormity of our reward with the Lord is beyond human ability. But he says here, we're going to see a little bit of it through the Spirit. The Bible says in another place, we see through a glass darkly, enigmatically, the actual Greek word is. So in an enigma, we see bits and pieces, we get little glimpses of what it's going to be like. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believest thou this? In another place, he says, talks about how, uh, know you not, ye are gods. Ah, these are just amazing things. He talks about how mortality will be swallowed up by immortality, will be raised up to meet him in the air. He says there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more crying. The former things are all passed away. Behold, I make all things new. You shall rule and reign with me. I will come and serve you. I will come and wipe away all of your tears. Uh, he knows we go through tears on planet Earth. He knows that. He knows we go through pain on planet Earth. He knows that as well. But he says, don't worry, next generation, new body, just like Jesus Christ, no pain, no tears, no sorrow, just the power of God forever and ever and ever. Welcome into the joy of the Lord, as Jesus put it. And all the people said, Amen. the reward of loving the Lord is out of this world.